The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 371st episode of the History Goes Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I'm your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we're going to be featuring a location in Ireland, which is a little synchronistic because we were just on Mysterious Circumstances with Justin Rimmel. And he had asked us, hey, if there's one place you could go internationally that you haven't been yet to do some ghost hunting, where would it be? Ireland. Yeah, we both Most right definitely. off the get. We were like Ireland. So wouldn't you know, here we are looking at a location in Ireland. This location is Charleville Castle. And it supposedly is one of the most haunted castles in Ireland. Excellent. Although the other castle that's right near it is Lep Castle, which I think gives it a hell of a run for its money. But before we get into that, we want to welcome into the spectacular crew, Nicholas, Stephanie, Carrie with a K and an I, Brian, Kathy with a K, Brittany Ann, Jennifer, and Terry with an I. Welcome to the crew, everyone. And now, this moment, Noddity. We've featured bog bodies on a previous moment in Oddity. These are bodies that have mummified after being buried in bogs and are found in various places in Europe. On this episode, we're featuring a haunted castle in County Uvali, and it is here that the old Krogan man was found in a bog in 2003. It is believed that this body dates back to the Iron Age, and based on the state of the body, archaeologists believe that he was a man of high status who was murdered. Reasons for the believing that he quite possibly was a member of royalty include the fact that he had manicured nails, so he didn't do manual labor and he had a plated leather band around his left arm. The body was buried in a bog at the foot of a hill that was used for kingship ceremonies. Krogan Man probably stood around 6 foot 6 inches tall, which was unique for the time period. It is believed that he had a diet high in meat, although his last meal was wheat and buttermilk. The man was thought to have died 2,000 years ago, and it is thought that he was murdered as a druid sacrifice. Kings were held responsible if a harvest was bad or if the weather was particularly poor. The body indicated that he was stabbed in the chest, decapitated, and cut in half. This theory of sacrificial punishment is just one theory put forward. Another is that this was just a random member of the community chosen as a sacrifice to a fertility or harvest god to ensure good yields. The Krogan Man certainly is odd. 
And now, this month in history. In the month of February, on the 1st in 1894, director John Ford was born. Ford was born in Maine to Irish parents and moved to California in 1914. He had followed his older brother here, who had worked his way up directing after working in vaudeville and starring in silent pictures. John would work as a handyman assistant and stuntman for his brother. He did the occasional acting as well. Ford finally got his big break as a director and never looked back. He enjoyed using his own stock actors, which included John Wayne, Maureen O'Hara, James Stewart, Will Rogers, and Henry Fonda. He took a break from making movies during World War II to serve as head of the photographic unit for the Office of Strategic Services, and the Navy Department enlisted him to make documentaries. He later went back to directing. In a career that spanned 50 years, Ford made 140 movies that included The Searchers, The Grapes of Wrath, Stagecoach, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. And he won five Academy Awards, four of which were for Best Director. This was a record. He is considered one of the best directors of all time. He died at the age of 79 in 1973. He's buried at Holy Cross Cemetery in Culver City. Several years ago, we featured Lep Castle on an episode. This was not the only haunted castle in the Irish county of Uvali. Charleville Castle borders the town of Tullamore near a forest that was heavily used by Druids. Thus, the Druidic connection to this location is strong. This castle dates back to the early 1800s and is said to be the most haunted castle in Ireland with legends of devil worship, torture, and mystical power. On this episode, we are going to explore the origins of Druids and examine the history and haunts connected to Charleville Castle. County is said to be the home of high kings and is known for its religious history, old castles, and ghosts. For 70 years, the county was home to the world's largest telescope, which was originally built in the 1840s. Can you imagine it dated back that far? It's amazing. Tullamore, which was originally part of the first English plantation in Uvali, is the county capital and has around 15,000 residents. The town shield depicts a phoenix rising from the ashes to commemorate an unpleasant piece of its history. In 1785, a hot air balloon crashed in the middle of town and burned down over 100 homes. This made Tullamore the scene of the world's first aviation disaster. Charleville Castle would be built near the town beginning in 1800. Of particular interest in the woods near the castle are the remnants of a Druid initiation circle. This area was very important to the Druids. That circle means that this was a sacred ritual site. Many scholars believe that the term druid is derived from the Irish Gaelic word for oak tree, dira. 
For many ancient traditions, the oak tree is a symbol of knowledge. Many religions and groups have been influenced by the Druids from Christianity to Masonry. At its core, Druidism is a shamanic religion, incorporating contact with the spirit world and holistic practices with herbs and medicine. Druids were very focused on nature and their knowledge dates to megalithic times. The spiritual practice is polytheistic, but one won't find a pantheon of gods here. It differs depending on the Druid. And while many relegate Druidism to the ancient past, many people still practice some form of this today. Druids were said to be some of the first fortune tellers. It's kind of fitting that we're talking about Druids on this episode because we were literally yesterday just up in uh, Casadega, the spiritualist camp here locally. This is true. Basically the winter camp for the spiritualists. Yeah, it was amazing. I loved it. Yeah, we were walking through all the stores and they have fortune tellers and psychics and mediums all over that town. Lots of positivity there. Yes, there was, except for that one store you went into. (laughs) Except for that one store. We were about five minutes into it and looking at the different stones there and all of a sudden Kelly whispers in my ear, get me out of here. And I was like, okay. Yeah, it, I mean, it really almost started from the moment I went in and I was looking at some things on the shelf. I just felt such a heavy oppression and weight on my chest and I started to feel nauseous and I I just kept trying to blow it off and I'm like no I I need to leave (laughs) yeah so we got out of there it took me a second to get past that too yeah because didn't you feel like like a wave of nausea and everything while you were there yeah I did it it did not I did not like being in that building at all yeah so it made me wonder if it was something that had connected to some of the stones that were in there or if it was the actual building or if it was the people inside there was some person that was getting a reading in a back room where we could actually hear what the person was saying to him right yeah i have no idea but i just did not feel good there yeah specifics of druidism are a mystery most believe that druidism came out of celtic and gaulish culture in europe their origin dates to the second century bc when they were mentioned for the first time in writing Julius Caesar wrote of Druids in 59 to 51 BC. Druids served as philosophers, teachers, judges, scientists, and of course, priests. They were exempt from paying taxes and serving during battles. They actually were credited with preventing warfare as mediators. Of particular interest was that women were treated as equals. There are claims that they practiced human sacrifice, but no evidence for this has ever been found. Druids wore robes, and they were color-coded according to rank. The wisest elder would wear gold and was called the Arc Druid. Artistic Druids were called Blue Bards and they wore blue. Sacrificers would wear red and they were fighters. Most other Druids wore simple white, unless they were new adherents. These wore brown or black. They believed in reincarnation and sins from this life would be paid for in the next. Druids were similar to modern-day pagans and Wiccans who followed lunar and seasonal cycles. There were eight high holy days observed. Their New Year was observed on Samhain, which is our Halloween. This represented the last harvest coming in and the time when the worlds of the living and the dead were the closest. So this was a time of mysticism. The winter solstice was Yule and Druids would sit on mounds of earth through an entire night. And when the sun rose, it symbolized rebirth. The Oak King would reign at this time. Imbolc was observed on February 2nd and their rituals would center around sheep's milk as they celebrated fertility and motherhood. Astera fell on the spring equinox. Beltane was observed on April 30th, and this was the festival of fertility. Litha was a summer solstice, which was a time where the Holly King took over from the Oak King. Lugnasa was observed on August 2nd and celebrated the first harvest. Mabon was the autumnal equinox. This forest near Charleville Castle would be considered one of the temples of the Druids. These were secluded in quiet areas in the center of nature. 
Some megalithic structures are thought to have been built by the Druids, like Stonehenge, in Britain. This is shaped like a classic Druid circle. But some historians disagree as to whether the Druids built this or just started using something that was already there. The Druids are thought to have come to Britain after Stonehenge was built. By the 2nd century, Druids were said to have died off from famine, warfare, and disease after being oppressed by many societies, particularly the Romans. There are some who believe the Druids were converted to Christianity. But we all know that the Druids didn't disappear. They probably changed in some ways, and in the 1700s, a Druid revival occurred in England and Wales. William Blake was an Ark Druid. And there's people who practice Druidism today. So that's why we know it hasn't completely disappeared. There's a lot of pagans that claim to be Druids and such. A man named Thomas Lacey visited the castle in 1855, and he wrote of the forest. While in Tullamore, the tourists should not forego the advantage of paying a visit to the magnificent castle and domain of the Earl of Charleville called Charleville Forest, a privilege which is conceded to respectable strangers. The domain is of considerable extent, comprising an area of 1,500 acres and possessing natural beauties of the highest order. The Clodagh River winds in a curving sweep through the beautiful grounds and produces in many parts of them fine cascades, whose rushing sounds, as they descend into the deep glens, become subdued by the thick and overhanging trees and finally subside into soft and agreeable murmurs. The widely spreading lawns and rich meadows are studded and surrounded with timber of great age and large growth while the more youthful plantations afford covert and security to the very large number of deer, hares, rabbits, and pheasants, by which they are tenanted. The latter, the beautiful pheasants, are to be seen in great abundance on all parts of the domain. So I wanted to include that just to give people a real picture of what the grounds look like here. They probably really are very similar to this day because it hasn't been developed or anything like that. It sounds absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, so you can just imagine why they would have wanted to put their castle here and why the Druids would have found this to be such a wonderful natural area to have some of their rituals and such. The Omoloi clan ruled an area called Firewall in County Uvali from the 5th to the 17th centuries. So this family was there for a really long time. And I have to tell you, Kelly, I have all respect for those of you who keep track of your Scottish and Irish ancestry and the names and everything. Just me trying to figure out who had ownership of this land and the castle, I was going crazy. I was like, oh my God, there was this family and then this family and then this line comes through this line and this person's born and then they switch their name so that they are part of that clan. And whew, I don't know how you guys keep track of all that. It's almost like the book of numbers in the Bible. Yes, definitely. Firewall means men of the churches and was named such because of the number of churches there. The clan had descended from King Nile of the Nine Hostages, or at least that's what legends claim. Historians are not sure King Nile ever existed. If he did live, he died before 382 AD. After the 17th century, the lands of Firewall passed into the plantations of James I and Cromwell. This would have been in the 1620s. The land was later given to Sir John Moore of Crogan by Queen Elizabeth I, and we just heard about the Crogan man for a moment in oddity. And a little bit of synchronicity there, I just happened upon that while I was trying to research this. So I was like, oh, perfect. And then when I happened upon trying to find something for this month in history, the director was born of Irish parents. So I was like, wow, talk about everything going together on this episode. Yep, just fell right into place. (laughs) The Moors relocated to Tullamore in 1697 and John Moore became the first Lord of Tullamore in 1716. Thomas Moore built the first mansion house on the site in 1641. The estate passed through the hands of Charles Moore, who was the grandson of Thomas. 
When he died in 1674, the estate passed to Charles' sister, who was named Jane. Jane married William Barry, and they had a son named John, who had a son named Charles William Barry. John died in a swimming accident, and his son Charles Barry would become the first Earl of Charleville, a brand new title, in 1757. He felt that a new home needed to be built on the property, and this is when Charleville Castle was constructed. Francis Johnston designed the castle in the Gothic Revival style after it was commissioned in 1798. Construction began in 1800 and continued until 1812. The castle looks like your typical castle, built from gray stone with castellated towers. There is a small Gothic chapel on the property and a dungeon below the castle for prisoners. The interior has a grand wraparound staircase rising several levels. There is a library and dining room, complete with stenciling by William Morris. Yeah, so when you look at pictures of this castle, it looks exactly like how you would imagine a castle to look. It looks lovely in my mind. (laughs) Yeah, so it's, you know, got your turrets and all that good stuff going on. And what's interesting about it is most castles that we talk about date back centuries and centuries and centuries. And this is really only a couple centuries old. Yeah, it's relatively new. It is. In the scheme of things. The first earl was an antiquarian landowner and politician. Much of his land holdings made up the village of Tullamore, and he helped to develop much of it. So basically, he owned all the land and then started letting people build homes there and that kind of thing. The first Earl died in 1835 at the age of 71. His namesake son, Charles, would become the second Earl of Charlevel. The second Earl became a politician as well and was an Irish peer. Remember, we brought that up. I certainly do. So now we know that's a royal title. He was an advocate for homeopathy. Ever heard of the Lord of the Bedchamber, Kelly? I have not. (laughs) Isn't that a fun title? I'm the Lord of the Bedchamber. What does that mean? I think there's a lot of men who would like to say that about their master bedroom. Oh, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) It is a real thing, and this Charles served in that position from 1834 to 1835. The duties fulfilled were helping the king get dressed, serving as a waiter, guarding the closet and bedchamber, and being a confidant to the king. It was a very powerful position. The second Earl was bad with money, and during an economic crisis in Ireland in the 1840s, he had to sell off part of the family estates. He married a woman named Harriet Campbell, whom everyone referred to as Lady Charlotte. And they had three sons and a daughter. Lady Charlotte is credited with many of the interior design elements of the castle. The second Earl died in 1851 at the age of 50, and the title passed on to his eldest son, also named Charles. So it got fun trying to keep track of all these because they were all named Charles. (laughs) I'm sure it did. (laughs) The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastic into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The third Earl had five children with his wife, Lady Arabella, and she was described as being of Hebrew extraction with fine black eyes and dark hair and an uncommonly beautiful cast of countenance. Her great beauty was well known. She passed away in 1859 at the age of 30. He followed two years later, leaving the three girls and two boys behind. The Berry family seemed to have a real stretch of bad luck. Three of the children were dead by 1874. One of them was Lord Tullamore, who had inherited the title, so he was the fourth earl. When he died, the uncle that had raised the children became the fifth earl. He died a year later. The last of the third earl's daughters, Emily, inherited then. 
Before the First World War, James Howard and his wife Lady Emily lived in the castle with their two children, Marjorie and Howard. James took on the surname of Barry in 1881, and he died in 1885. The couple had only been married for four years at that point. Lady Emily soon left the castle, but it remained in the family. Yeah, so she moved to a whole other country, and she would never return. And I thought it was very interesting that she inherited, and when she married her husband, actually pretty much had to take on her name, is what it is. Yeah, that is unique. I mean, they say he took on the surname of Barry, but let's admit it, she was the Barry. So this is true. <laughs> he took her name. <laughs> but also on the other side is that it meant that she didn't really have ownership of the castle. It goes on to her son then, of course. Their son, Howard Barry, was an adventurous man. He was a big game hunter and a mountain climber. He hiked the Austrian Alps and joined the King's Royal Rifle Corps. He joined the army during World War I and served as a colonel. He served with distinction during the Battle of the Somme. And we actually did an episode on that. Before heading off to war, he closed up the castle. It would remain empty for 50 years as he preferred to live at a smaller estate. He left a minimal staff to look after the place. Can you imagine just having the run of the castle and no boss? <laughs> no, I cannot. <laughs> I bet they had fun at that place. In 1921, he was the leader of the Mount Everest Reconnaissance Expedition, organized and financed by the Mount Everest Committee. He published an account of this as Mount Everest the Reconnaissance, 1921. Now, he didn't actually hike to the top of Everest, but he did a lot of the footwork so that people could go on to do that later on. So it's a pretty cool thing that he has connected to him. And it gets even cooler for those of us who like the odd. In this account, he wrote of finding large loping footprints at high altitude that he assumed belonged to a large gray wolf of some sort. Their Sherpa guides, however, said the tracks were from Mech Kongmi, which means filthy snowman. Oh. It is thought that this is where the term abominable snowman came from. Interesting. And you know, for us, I remember us talking about the abominable snowman when we were kids, but you don't hear about it anymore, really. Usually people use terms like Bigfoot, Yeti, something like that. <laughs> yeah, my, my biggest extent of knowledge of that when I was little was the Matterhorn at Disneyland. <laughs> yes, that and uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. This is true, but he was a nice guy. But he started off abominable because he had a bad tooth. <laughs> he had a toothache. Yeah, Can't I get kind of angry then when I have that too. This was written by a man named Henry Newman, who wrote for the Indian paper, The Statesman. His account went out to several papers, and one critic of this move was Ralph Izzard, who published in 1955, The Abominable Snowman Adventure. In it, he writes, quote, Whatever effect Mr. Newman intended from 1921 onwards, the Yeti, or whatever various native populations choose to call it, became saddled with the description, Abominable Snowman, an appellation which can only appeal more to the music hall mind than to mammologists, a fact which has seriously handicapped earnest seekers of the truth. So I kind of like that up until 1955, they were saying, let's get rid of that term, where mammologists were being serious about this. So they really were looking for whatever Howard Berry had supposedly seen up there. Right. And I just thought that that was fascinating because I'm just reading through this and I'm like, oh, how cool that he was part of this Everest expedition. And here he's part of this royal family that's connected to this castle. And then I read in further and I went, oh, my gosh, <laughs> he's talking about Yetis. Very cool. Howard Berry was awarded the 1922 Founders Gold Medal of the Royal Geographical Society after the expedition. He died in 1963 with no family, so the property passed to a cousin, Major William Bacon Hutton, who took on the surname Barry in 1964. 
a young Englishman leased it in the 1970s. By this time, parts of the roof were gone from the castle. Michael McMullen started the restoration on the property in 1973. Two women, Constance Heavey Sequis and Bonnie Vance, took over after that and a charitable trust, Charleville Castle Heritage Trust, was established. This is managed by Dudley Stewart, who oversees many volunteers. Tours are offered, and we did read in a couple of forums that overnight stays were offered as well. But we aren't sure on that, and even if that is the case, the setting is not like a hotel. Yeah, I just heard it described as a and b but not quite at the level that you would maybe be expecting it. It's kind of like there are some beds there, but kind of like, <laughs> <it yourself>. <laughs> like a staying overnight at the Velisca Axe Murder House. Okay. You could stay overnight, but yeah, I don't know that you want to be like, oh yeah, this is like a hotel. Alrighty. Eleanor Ridley writes in the Uvaly History blog, the Long Winding Avenue in Charleville was designed in the Romantic Age of Sturm und Drang. And I'm sure that that's Gaelic and I don't know how to say it. And seems the perfect setting to meet a ghost. Perhaps we may meet that of the old Bishop Pocock of Meath, who took a puke after a feed of mushrooms in Charleville and died the next day. Oh, my word. <laughs> who took a puke? He took a puke. <laughs> don't eat those mushrooms. <laughs> or that of the second Earl, who went mad with upset over his lost fortune. Or that of the third Earl, who perhaps killed himself with overindulgence and want of exercise. Probably had a heart attack. Plenty of possibilities as we face into the many twists and turns in Charleville and of life. This castle is a favorite of paranormal investigators. The location has been featured on Ghost Hunters International and Scariest Places on Earth and is said to be the most haunted castle in Ireland. One of the strangest things that happens in the castle takes place in the Red Room and the library. Apparently, when visitors stand in a special spot in these rooms, there is a weird magnetism that makes any necklace go around in circles by itself. Could this be a result of the practices of Druids who use this site before the castle? Clearly, the Druid spirits cannot be happy that their old stomping grounds had been built over by a castle. For decades, people have claimed to see hooded figures on the castle grounds. Guests have claimed to see balls of light that dart around inside and outside of the castle. One of the spirits that is here in the afterlife belongs to the first Earl of Charleville. This apparition walks the tower as though he is still protecting his former home. The most famous ghost on the property dates back to the third Earl of Charleville. When he died, it was left to his brother to care for the Earl's five children. One of those children was named Harriet. The children were left to their own devices most of the time, and they found great fun in sliding down the balustrade of the main staircase. And just so everybody knows, I'm going to describe this for you. It's like a wraparound staircase that goes up, I don't know how many stories, at least three, could be four. And it's just a continuous little balustrade that goes down. So you can imagine wrapping around that thing would have been quite Sounds like fun. <laughs> Unfortunately, Harriet was making her way down the balustrade in 1861 when she lost her grip and crashed headfirst onto the stone floor. And when I had first read this story and I hadn't seen the inside of the castle yet, I was just imagining a regular staircase. And I'm like, well, that's not a very far drop. Not quite that far. But if you think she might have been towards the top of the balustrade and fell two or three stories. Yikes. So unfortunately, when she crashed headfirst into the stone floor, she was killed instantly because she broke her neck. She was only eight years old. Her spirit is endured and is the one many people claim to have had experienced. The stairs are her favorite haunt and she is felt and seen often there. 
She reportedly is seen wearing a blue and white dress and has blue ribbons in her blonde curly hair. People claim to have caught her in pictures as a shadow or small mist. Sometimes the spirit of a little boy joins Harriet, and once a young boy who was three disappeared while in the castle. His family finally found him at the bottom of a stairwell. He claimed that a boy and girl helped him down the stairs safely. Bonnie Vance claimed to have a bevy of ghosts in her room one morning. These included Francis Johnston, Harriet, Charles Berry, and a group of around 17 druids in black robes who encircled her bed. She said that it seemed like they were giving her a blessing, I hope. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I would not want to wake up and see a bunch of hooded figures around my bed. I don't care what they're saying. Yeah, no. Most paranormal activity takes place in the library, at the stairwell, and in the dungeon. Many prisoners are said to have died in the prison due to torture, and the spirit of a sadist is said to be down there. People who go down there get scratched, and a cameraman was once dragged halfway down a corridor. A paranormal investigation group out of England named Haunted Earth did an overnight investigation in 2009. One of the men on the team, Chris Halton, was a sensitive who could make out what he described as ectoplasmic forms. He believed that he saw something like this on Harriet's stairs. There was a heavy feeling every time the group came back to the stairs. They left an audio recorder in the nursery and caught several EVP, including the name Brandy. Makes me want to break into another song. Brandy, you're a fine girl. And there was the sound of a woman humming. In another area of the castle, they caught the word Rocky. I don't know if that was as a name or terrain or what. Two of the investigators had what they described as the shock of the night. And I'm watching this video as this is going on. A door very clearly slams loudly, and it was really loud. I even jumped when I was watching the video because I wasn't expecting it. The crew had a hard time figuring out which door had closed, as most were either open or locked. Now, of course, someone off camera could have slammed it, but the group seemed legitimately startled by the noise. They all, I mean, you could even see the camera jump when he jumped. Wow. And they were right in front of an open door, so I thought maybe the door behind him had slammed because they ran because you could see all of a sudden the camera's like, and <laughs> they're running around like, what the hell? Right. So I thought the door behind him slammed, but when he spun the camera around, the door was still open. And then they were like, well, which door was it? And then as they explained their searching later on, it was like all the closed doors were locked. So Very they, cool. They didn't know where it came from. Scariest places on Earth featured the castle in 2001. A family named the Ulriches had plans to stay overnight in the castle. This episode had some crazy information. It described the first residents of the castle as trying to harness the powers of the dead and doing demonic stuff, including cutting the limbs and fingers off people. The show claimed that since this was an ancient burial ground, the castle was infested with spirits. One of the caretakers at the time of filming said that every time she said the name of Harriet, a door to a tower room would slam shut, and so she assumed that this had been the little girl's room. We did find this interesting as the Haunted Earth group was in that area when they heard a door slam loudly. Diane watched bits and pieces, and it seemed like the Ulriches were a really jumpy family that screamed a lot. Most cameras shot up... (laughs) I had to reread that. Most camera shots were up their noses. <laughs> Kelly, this was the craziest thing. All I found for this episode was a six minute video and it was like the intro part. And then it said, stay tuned to watch our next episode where we feature them in. And it was like a minute of just watching the family who had the cameras on their faces. <laughs> right. Walking around and looking up and getting startled about stuff. So that's all you're looking at are their faces and them going, oh. Ah! and screaming and being like, oh my God, where did dad go? And and it's just their faces. And I'm like, I don't want to watch people's faces through an investigation. It reminds me of the Blair Witch. Yes, that's exactly (laughs) the vibe I was getting. And I was like, I don't know how this family got picked. I don't know who they were or whatever. 
I did all this research before I was watching this. I was just trying to find some more haunted stuff because I was having a hard time finding haunted stories to go with it. So I'm like, well, let me see if I can find the scariest places on Earth. All this history they're talking about, I couldn't find that anywhere. This was the only place that I was seeing. I didn't even know originally that the castle had a dungeon underneath it because it doesn't make most of the main historical stuff that they share about it. Uh, Obviously, every castle had a dungeon underneath, but I never knew that it was really used for anything. And for most of the time, the castle was pretty much abandoned. Right. I just was like, I don't know. And that the first Barry family member was this occultist who was doing all this demonic stuff. I mean, I don't know. I think a lot of it was Hollywoodized. Probably. It tends to happen. And then when you see that it's just these people running around, it's just their face shots and them screaming and being scared. And it was just funny because I'm like, (laughs) what kind of experience do they have in paranormal investigating? Well, none. So let's take this family who knows nothing about investigating ghosts and throw them in this castle and see what happens. Oh, good grief. So I'm sure it was very entertaining, but I just was kind of guffawing through the intro. Another group investigated the castle in 2006. One of the members told a story about an earlier visit he had with his wife. They were walking away from the castle when they looked back to get a full view of the structure. They both saw a woman all dressed in white standing in the lowest double window on the tower. She appeared to be cleaning the windows in a circular motion. The couple walked back towards the castle and watched as his figure seemed to back away and disappear from the window. They knocked on the door and asked the woman who answered if there was someone up on that second floor cleaning windows. The lady looked confused and said there was only two of them there and no one was up on that floor. So I don't know if they'd heard that there wasn't supposed to be anybody in the castle. And that's why they were wanting to ask, like, who all is in there? Because there's somebody up in that window. Right. Possibly. Or maybe it was the way that she backed away and disappeared, that it wasn't just like somebody stepped away from the window and walked away. Sure. There are tales that the original Charles Berry chose this site because it was on ley lines. The castle's two towers have an eight-point star design, reflecting a Freemasonry influence. Two of the Earls of Charleville were grandmasters in the Freemasons of Ireland. And as the scariest places on earth claimed, the original Charles was said to be fond of devil worship. Could these points have led to hauntings? Is Charleville Castle haunted? That That is for you to decide. decide. Well, Kelly, just another reason for us to try to get over to Ireland and check it out. One day. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com or, of course, on any of our various social media. And as a matter of fact, we heard from Maureen O'Hearn, and she had said that she heard our interview with Justin Rimmel on Mysterious Circumstances. She said, I love it when hosts from shows that I love get together. Aw, very cool. And we had so much fun. I love getting together with our fellow podcast friends. Definitely. And Justin's a blast. And she said that I'd mentioned that I wanted to go to Ireland. And she said, I know it's a long airplane ride, but the pictures of Ireland you see on Google don't do it justice. It's awesome there. And you gals must go. And she had worked for a medical device manufacturer in Minnesota in 2001. And they sent her over there to do some work for the company. She got to be there. At first, she thought it was only going to be for a couple of weeks. And then she asked him if she could extend it for a little bit. Then they said, sure, we'll let you stay there for a couple more weeks. Nice. And then this is 2001. So right when she was supposed to be coming back, September 11th happened. Oh, wow. Yeah. And she said it was pretty weird to be out of the country and to watch everything that was going on here. So she ended up not being able to get out of Ireland for another week. So she flew home on September 21st. So she was there for five weeks. And she said in that five weeks, she drove about 1,500 miles and saw all kinds of stuff. She's got the cliffs of Moher. I'm sure I'm saying these things wrong. Kylemore Abbey, Dunratty Castle, 
Still, Oregon, which is a suburb of Dublin. Apparently, her grandmother's family's from there. And I had a feeling because her last name is O'Hearn. <laughs> Ashford Castle and the church that's featured in the Quiet Man film. St. Mary's cool. Church of Ireland. So I was like, wow, very, very cool. She said she kept driving north one time until all the signs were in Gaelic. So she figured she better turn around. <laughs> <laughs> you have gone back to another time. Trip of a lifetime. So thanks for writing us, Maureen. And we definitely plan to try to get there eventually. John wrote us and said, ladies, on your last episode, there was an email discussion about spirit boxes picking up the last word in a sentence of one's own voice. It occurred to me that for those TV shows that has everyone in the show with their own cordless mics and a spirit box scanning the radio waves, picking up the last word in one's own voice would be expected. Those microphones are on a radio frequency. This would not explain a private investigation, though, where the members were not wearing wireless mics, which would be us. Right. Wireless mics are around the 600 megahertz frequency. So personally, I would err on the side of this not being a ghost. Interesting. Well, the only thing is that it made that statement before, in in our experience, it made the statement have, before Dolly even said anything. Yeah, I have a feeling that John's talking about maybe what we were saying when it came to kindred spirits and stuff, right, when we would TV hear shows. the voices. And I hadn't even thought about that. But I'm like, you know, you're right. They're mic'd up and it's got to be wireless. So you are going to have that kind of contamination. Very interesting. But for ours, yeah, I have no idea because we clearly were not mic'd up and it was just a free speaker and we didn't have any of that technology going on. So Right. And the spirit box made the statement before Dolly even said anything. Yeah. So just interesting. Want to thank all you guys for sending in your suggestions, too. We've been getting a lot of emails for that. And I am trying to get through those. We still have some that go back for a couple of years as I just try to keep things so that we're not all in the same area. And a lot of it depends upon how easy the research is, how much ghost stuff we can find. I keep things on the list that only have a couple of sentences, hoping that maybe something more comes out eventually, that some ghost show will do that location and we'll get more information on it. But we did hear back from Jane from Spain. You know, I said <laughs> awesome. we want to hear details because she said she right. didn't want to bore us with the details. She said she really liked the uh, Viking send-off that Mort gave her. Excellent. She goes, nothing earth-shattering, I'm afraid. But anything that's weird is pretty cool. So basically, I don't think she had a full-bodied apparition show up. I hear a male voice calling, hola, Jane, outside my garden, but no one is there. It's odd my English name is called because people call me Hane or Yeni. I think is how you say it, while she's there in Spain. Interesting. I also hear whistling replicating the whistle I call my horse with. Oh, there's a fellow horse person, Kelly. (laughs) I had my own whistle that I did for my gelding, and he would always know it was me coming down the barnway. Very cool. The breezeway. So that is really a thing. I smell cigarette smoke in the house at 6 a.m., and I was awoken at 3 a.m. by a sound like a woman wailing outside my kitchen door. It wasn't a fox. I sat up in bed saying, what the F is that? (laughs) before it trailed off. Seconds later, there was a huge thud on my bedroom skylight. I wasn't scared, but I wasn't about to go out and check either. And then um, she did have her partner pass away. And she said, before my partner died, I heard his voice at the garden gate when he wasn't there. He was talking to my dog saying, what are you doing outside the gate, you stupid dogs? Come back into the garden. He used their names. I thought he'd come back from shopping. But when I looked, his car wasn't there. I rang him to ask why he'd gone back out again. And he said he hadn't been home. Neither of my dogs reacted, but they are cowardly and a bit thick. Huh. <laughs> a bit thick in the head. My nearest neighbor is a mile away, but voices may carry up from the village. Perhaps my brain misinterprets what's being said. Some birds mimic sounds that account for the whistling. Maybe someone walks on the hill in the morning smoking and the smell travels. Maybe an owl screamed outside my door and flew onto the skylight to eat its catch. 
I was expecting my partner back from shopping and maybe my brain interpreted noises as his voice. Finally, being a technical genius, and I'll just let everybody know she's not because we've both talked about how neither one of us are techie. (laughs) I was taking a photo of an area I wanted to plan up, but took a video instead. You can hear my late partner talking to the cat saying, who invented the wheel claws? And then some noises that sound to me like the grunting of pigs. I was standing next to an abandoned pigsty at the time. There are wild pigs in the area, and it's possible that although neither I nor my partner have heard these noises, my phone was much more sensitive and picked up the sounds. And the video she sent, she says, oh, sorry about the sight of my late partner in his undies. He was a child of nature. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) But I'll see if I can get the audio off that video for you guys and share it with you. I won't share the undies. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Who invented the wheel, Claude? In the Spooktacular crew, Wes, who is one of our moderators, and he's the one who took care of uh, the Halloween virtual trick-or-treating this year, and he did it last year as well, and Krampus last year. He and his wife were staying at the Martha Washington Inn, and some of you may recall that he had shared on one of our Halloween episodes the experiences that they had had there. Well, there's a girl named Ashley who had commented on this post, and she said, I love it there. I had a paranormal experience. My cousin used to work there and would tell me all her experiences, too. Tell Beth the heartbroken ghost hello for me. Oh, and the slave girl in the gift shop, too. She's really nice, but she can be shy. And look out for the blood stain. So I popped on and said, uh, Dietz, hello. (laughs) You had a paranormal experience. I want to know more. So she said, well, since you asked, here they are. When I was younger, I saw angels in my room. Ever since then, I would see or feel things. So we went to visit my cousin at the Martha, where she used to work, and she took us on a tour. She told us about the blood stain and had my sister and I stand on the stairs, and I saw it seeping through the floor as if it was fresh. It was, and she puts in all caps, creepy. Then she took us to the gift shop, and that's where I had the craziest experience. I was looking through the window of the shop and heard, hello. I turned to my sister and cousin and asked, what? They said they didn't say anything. Hello there. I turned to them again, and they swore up and down they didn't say anything. They walked away to another part of the hall and I heard, you can hear me. I replied, yes. She was so excited. We talked about her life and my life. She was a very intelligent spirit, but she told me, don't let anyone know I'm talking to you. When I asked why, she replied, I'm not allowed to talk to the white folk. So I think that's why she picked up that it must have been a slave. Yeah. It was then that I realized she was a slave. Duh. (laughs) I guess she told us. My cousin hollered for me and I told the voice bye and caught up with her, my sister and my mom. I turned to my cousin and went, was that a slave quarters? She turned to me shocked and said, uh, yes. How did you know that? I replied, oh, and whispered, the little girl told me. My cousin was freaked out and turned to my mom. My mom just said, yeah, that happens sometimes. She can talk to, sense, and sometimes see the dead. Though I can't see spirits now, I can still sense them and their emotions what they went through, how they were feeling in life and right before they died. And sometimes I can piece together what happened. I actually ended up filling in a lost piece of history for a historical site in Florida by telling them about a spirit that was trapped in the jail of the fort. They searched through their files and corroborated everything I said. They now talk about them on their ghost tours. And she said, I love paranormal experiences, only good ones, of course. So thank you, Ashley, for sharing those with everybody so we could share it with the listeners. Absolutely. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now.
Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Carrie Martinez and Nicholas Kingsbury. Or is it Barry? Kingsbury. You both are going to be buried under chest tombs. Thank you so much for supporting HGB. You guys go so far to help us produce this. We really could not do this show without you. Be sociable. Drop the chain rattling, neck biting, and shape shifting. And join us on Facebook and Twitter at History Goes Bump. Like the page and follow us. Welcome to this 371st episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. I, <laughs> I am my your name. host. What was my um, name? What's my name again? Diane? Who the hell am I? Where the hell am I? <laughs> I think maybe you need to start drinking the coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I need something in the morning. I don't know what. Maureen O'Hara, James Stewart, Will Rogers, and Henry Fonda. From Fonda. Fronda. 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 Want some fondue? <laughs> We're going to dip Henry in a bowl full of hot cheese. <laughs> Yummy. And Henry Font. Fronda. <laughs> Here we go again. I'm, do it again. <laughs> I'm so fond of him. Several years ago, we featured Lepcast. Lepcast. I don't know what it is. You're passing it off to me now. I got now. a little bit of a lisp today. <laughs> That circle means that this was a sacred ritual. 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 <laughs> I'd love to put Is that like R's being rickrolled? Oh, geez. It's a rickroll site. <laughs> Never gonna give you up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. That circle means that this was a sacred ritual. Rit- <laughs> <laughs> it's the marbles oh in the mouth God. are. <laughs> Ritual is a hard word to say. I don't know it's why. It's kind of like rule. I always, there's a lot of things that I always want to put an extra R in. I don't know what the problem <laughs> is. That circle means that this was a sacred ritual. The winter solstice and Yule. Well, God dang. This forest near Charlemagne. Charlemagne? Charlemagne. Charlemagne. I hope it didn't have that other thing that some people had to do for the kings in the restroom. You just had to go there, didn't you? (laughs) (laughs) That's usually my type of line. I know. He joined the army during World War I and served as a colonel. He he disturbed. He disturbed. He disturbed with (laughs) sedation. A young Englishman leashed. A young e- leashed it. <laughs> he leashed it. 
<laughs> Where's the collar? He leashed that castle. Where's he going to walk it? 